2: Here's a message from today's sponsor.
3: Hello there, adventurer. Get ready to embark on an epic journey with MythCraft RPG. MythCraft is the ultimate TTRPG system and universe brought to you by the Homebrew Network in partnership with Quasi-Real Publishing. With one of the most robust character creation systems on the market, you'll have the power to design and play your dream character in a huge, narratively rich universe. Choose from 14 lineages, 11 classes, countless occupation and profession options, and a ton of talents. Discover endless intriguing and unique combinations to create your perfect hero. And the best part? You'll get new options for your character with a new talent point every level. Mythcraft needs your support to make this happen. Check out the Kickstarter today at MythcraftRPG.com and get ready to embark on the adventure of a lifetime. The MythCraft RPG Kickstarter is open until April 19th and you won't want to miss out on this thrilling journey. Let's do this. That's MythCraftRPG.com.
2: Welcome, everybody, to tonight's episode. So we are really excited, once again, to be continuing our series of fantastic interviews for International Women's Month. We have another one lined up for you today. We're going to be bringing in a very special guest. But uh, before we introduce uh, her tonight, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. How are things down in the wonderful and probably, once again, warmer and less snowy state of Connecticut?
1: Look, quit crying about it and move
2: south. I know. We're going to get 15 inches of snow on Saturday. Okay, 15 inches right? of snow. Come Why? on
1: why because you live in maine that's, that's why true. i got an that's rv yeah. i will soon be part of the chasing 70 community yeah yeah i.e chasing 70 degrees I, was gonna uh, say I didn't
2: think you were that old yeah
1: let's see i don't want no, no i got a few years yet to go before <laughs> I quite reach 70 but but no things are damp and chilly but yeah. not as bad as they are up there nana that's true fair enough we're excited you? though we're while i'm talking trish is actually actively bustling about don't worry i was helping before i <laughs> Join. I was getting the RV ready to move because we have to have it to our RV shop at 9 a.m. tomorrow to have our solar put on. Excellent.
2: Excellent. Fabulous. All right, Mr. Miller, how about you? How are things going for you today?
0: Things are going very well. I'm having a great time. The Star Trek game is going really well. We've got characters built. We've got ships built. Our Discord is up. Our patrons are actually starting to do some in-character chats. They're meeting in a mess hall of late, and I'm very excited. People are really jumping into this, and I just... Love everything that's happening with the game and getting very excited, and it dovetails perfectly with what we're here to discuss tonight, because there's nothing that's more Star Trek to me than bringing in some classic literature, and I intend to
2: double down. There are certainly key books that one could read to understand some of the plot points that we have brought about in our actual plays, and that's all that I will say to that end. And in the meantime— introduce our guest for tonight. So tonight on the show, we have high school teacher by day and a D and D dungeon master by night of, of the dungeon mistress of men and of bleh, the, the dungeon, dungeon mistress teacher. of
0: the yeah. dungeon,
2: teacher. dungeon teacher teacher <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes.
1: yes. teacher master. Actually, I believe is teacher. the word that Kate yeah. used <laughs> <You> in the <laughs> podcast <laughs> a, teacher master.
2: A, I will be able to spit it out at some point here, but if nothing else, Kate Tinius from Of Mice and Men and Monsters. Welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Thank you so very much for joining us this evening.
4: I am excited and ecstatic to be here, you guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks. You're very welcome. so before we start peppering you with questions here, for our listeners, what is Of Mice and Men and Monsters, other than the most amazingly named podcast of all time? It
4: was yeah, yeah, that was conceived over nuts and bites and drinks at some bar. But yeah. Yeah. thank you very much for the uh, <laughs> compliment. So what is Of Mice and Men and Monsters? So it is a podcast about classic literature and Dungeons and Dragons and just marrying the two in such a way that you can have these homebrew D&D fifth edition games set in the worlds and settings and characters and plot lines of some famous pieces of literature. And as the English teacher and the one who like, just chooses to read these for fun. Yeah. Uh, I guide two friends and my husband in these stories. Yeah, I've gotten to play Dr. Victor Frankenstein. I've gotten to play Jay Gatsby. I have gotten to play Lady Macbeth. And it is fun because I get to step into the skin of some of these yeah. very famous literary figures.
2: That sounds that's like such so such much a, fun. That's <laughs> such
1: a fantastic concept too. Yeah. Especially the way that you have it set up. The way you're doing story arcs and different stories in the different world. So it's almost like a bunch of mini actual plays set. It's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Thank you. I, Absolutely. I, I've spent many of years borrowing deeply in several of those same ponds that you that your podcast has gone. Though I would say... <clears throat> The one thing I haven't done has been as explicit about it. It's more it's a nuance that I get and maybe one or two other players like Josh will get it when I do it. And he actually calls me out on it. He goes, yeah, that wasn't that original. Yeah, it wasn't that subtle. Glenn will pick up on that as well. But some of my friends are – while they are well-read with current literature, some of the classics, they're not as well-read on. And so I can get away with that. But I just love it. I love classic literature. I love literature in general. I love books and Marrying that with our fantastic hobby is exactly the space that I like to spend a lot of time in. And yep. thank you so much for your podcast.
4: Yeah. You know what? It is a pleasure. It is one of those where I, I'm still like it. As an independent podcast, you're wearing a lot of hats. You guys well know this. And my, my husband does the post part. So he is doing the editing, he does the uploading and making sure just like everything is coming together smoothly and having sound design in it. And I'm on the forefront of planning out the sessions, reaching out to people if we need it, making sure our scheduling is going smoothly. And yeah, with all that, there's still the love of the craft that we are doing and the game itself. So it is fun to be a literary nerd and a tabletop role-playing nerd. <laughs> awesome.
2: Such a great combination. All right, gentlemen. It is time to, uh, to roll initiatives. That's a 15. Yeah, 15. Reasoned, Josh. Reasoned.
0: I'm rolling on an 11 at the moment.
2: Right. Six. Six. All right. I got first question. Bring it up the rear. Excellent. Fabulous. So teacher by day, D&D, Dungeon Master, how did that transition happen? So like, how did you get into role-playing? What's your experience coming into role-playing games and stuff like that?
1: Oh, the origin story. The origin story. (laughs) Exactly,
4: yeah.
2: (laughs) We're going on the hero's
1: journey tonight. um,
4: The the villain I am today. I think there are multiple avenues that coalesced into one straight shot for me. And so as an english teacher i do a lot of the reading in class and one of the big things is telling my students hey if you're not hearing voices when you read you're doing it wrong you should feel crazy when you read and so it's just practicing the art of pretty much emphasizing the voice but also playing characters as we're in class and casting roles for different characters in a in each novel that we read or plays. So it, it's cool to see that because that in itself becomes scripted role playing with one another, just doing voices and getting into character. And then even just within the classroom itself, it fits really well becoming a dungeon master because a high school teacher and being a dungeon master is many people will say like herding cats. And it really is. It is <laughs> the, you have people who have all these different ideas in their heads of what you're talking about and the scene you're setting for them or the lesson you're explaining. And you need to be able to explain the information in a way that as many people as possible understand where you're going together, but also getting them to buy into it. And if they're like, Hey, but what about saying a class-socratic discussion? They're like, yeah, we're talking about the ethics of materialism in Gatsby. What about this thing that relates to a TikTok I've watched? Let's just run with it. A yes and. let yeah, go yeah. with it and see where we can, instead of just immediately shutting it down. So it's translated well into becoming a dungeon master. Just within the realm of tabletop role-playing games itself, I started, I think, four years ago, five years ago, playing with friends in a home game. I was a player. Aaron, who plays A1 on our show, was my dungeon master. And so it was fun, but it was a lot of us. He had to DM for eight of us. So it was a large group. And then I'm like, I kind of want to give that a try. That looks fun. And so my first... One shot that I tried was a one shot that I cheekily wrote myself based off of Edgar Allan Poe's Fall of the House of Usher, Mm -hmm. where I had a house come alive and try to eat them. And I'm like, this is fun. I could keep doing this. So it just seemed to just click. And there were a lot of transferable skills between being an
0: educator and being a dungeon master.
1: Excellent. Fantastic answer.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Mr. Miller. Kate, I I am a huge fan of literature, and I have so many questions. I will probably be lighting up the comments on your channels even after this. Even
4: after this is done, let's keep talking. Let's keep talking.
0: I guess I'm going to start with my version of the softball question because I think it's going to help inform me as far as where some of my questions are going to go. You gave us a story of how you got into gaming. So we've got those bona fides, and we always ask most of our guests that question. I now get to ask the other question is, how about uh, literature in general, English as a major and becoming a teacher? How did you come into that and decide this is the direction I want to go? That was
4: not a straight path. I I had always just had a thirst and a longing for stories. Just writing my own, which were like, honestly, as a fourth grader, were poorly, like poor ripoffs of the Chronicles of Narnia and the Boxcar Children and the, what is it? The great bamboozle or something. But so it, the really great wang doodle, there we go. And so just, <laughs> it's fun. Cause I found some of that stuff. I'm like, Oh, okay, come on. That's, that's adorable. But just the prospect of telling stories and then reading other people's stories, it's just voraciously being able to jump in and out of different worlds and then have an imprint of it on you through the language that you use and personas that you can take on. And life lessons that you can learn through like what the characters do sometimes to their demise. So I was drawn to that. And then, so I go and I get my undergrad and I did, I got an undergrad degree in English literature with a minor in medieval and Renaissance studies because I too loved Shakespeare and also Beowulf. And I decided, Hey, you know what would be really useful for my life? I'm going to take two semesters of old English and this is going to Pay off all the dividends. But it was more one of those where I was able to have a liberal arts education that I could just I could dabble in that. It was one of those where I just I knew I wanted to always be story adjacent. And it was my senior year when I was able to be a a, a teacher's assistant leading discussion seminars for some freshman classes in both Shakespeare and in Greek tragedies, and realizing, hey talking with groups of students who at that age, you know, as freshmen, so they're just fresh out of high school, talking with groups of students at this level and being able to engage with them on a regular basis and even just work with them on their papers. There's something, this is pretty cool. And finding programs that were, I was in upstate New York, so decided to come back to California and finding just programs that would allow me to test it out and try it out and teaching just It was another one of those that just clicked. It was another one of those where I get to nerd out over literature. I get to be story adjacent while still actively being involved in coaching really like the sage on the side for kids who... uh, just are starting to discover who they are, that, that age of identity. Am I a nerd? Am I like weird? <laughs> is this something that I'm interested in that like I shouldn't be? And so being able to be like, no, you are weird and beautiful and embrace it. So it's fun to be at that stage and see that over and over again with the age that I teach, which is ninth through 12th grade. So yeah. it gets weird and it gets really awesome.
0: I, so, I love that answer. I myself ha- can really mark my trajectory in life on the basis of my English teachers. Yeah. In second grade, I had an English teacher who talked to me about how you write in the journals every day and you have to write some kind of story. And I was terribly lazy. I was literally copying stories out of the comic books. Her son was a comic book <laughs> fan, and she literally said, "Why are you just rewriting a comic book?" And I'm like, "You read those?" And you know, caught. What, what? <laughs> you like? You read those? And then her her response was not. To yell at me or get or me get in trouble, she's like, Write all the comic book stuff you want, but don't write somebody else's story. Write what you want to have happen after that last page. And from that day on, all of my stories were what took place after the comic book ended. And many of my (laughs) early DD games were exactly the same. I really love this story. I really love this world. Take these characters or this world, and you can play new characters in the same world, and you live in in this space.
4: Completely. That's That's how I, that's how it was like, that was my elevator. Pitch to so many people. It's like fan fiction for classic literature. Yep. Of course, you know, that I already, there's so many cool ideas that come out of fan fiction. I love you, AO3. I love you. But yeah, <laughs> it's just, it is when you see something and you're like, the way they wrote it, the way that the characters themselves were formed, th- this one moment that I still remember that they shocked me and just hold the rug from out under me. I want to experience that too. I want to see others respond to my own storytelling as well. So I completely get that.
2: I was the one that like watched Game of Thrones before I read Game of Thrones, and it was maybe after season two or three that one of the big like end-of-season reveals. It might have been The Red Wedding. I honestly don't remember. But I was like, no, this show is never doing that to me again, and then bought the entire series and read it all before the next season began.
1: There's so much I loved about your answer to Lee Wan-Nika's question. It was fantastic. Starting with the horrible, straight ripped off copies of the <laughs> stories that I was a fan of when I was a kid, except it was the Shannara series of books for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a bunch of different tales designed after the someone very similar to the Druid Al-Anon. But yeah, we don't have to go all the way down those roads. Or the very first time I wrote a book, I was in like kindergarten, I think. I locked myself in the bathroom. Why the bathroom? I'm not sure. But the bathroom.
4: You can get some peace there. You just yell out, I'm pooping. And most of the time, like, all right, I'm steering clear.
1: And I wrote my first book by copying my favorite kid's book on notebook paper, verbatim, which earned me discussion about what plagiarism was. But whatever, I still put in that much effort at that age. But I digress. And I do have a love of classic literature as well. And I think that what you're doing to meld the two together is so fantastic. And. But while my taste in classic literature is there, it tends to lean more towards the end of the spectrum that has more modern-facing English, Mm -hmm. and it's just something about the way my brain works. I've read Shakespeare, but I struggle with it. If I have to work to interpret, it destroys my immersion in the story, and I've never been able to do the two very well. And of course, in school, when... We were growing up. There wasn't a whole lot of adjusting or accommodating, so it was literally just do this or fail. To the point of, I still remember, because I was forced to memorize, the opening to Canterbury Tales in Old English, even though I don't understand half of it, but I had to memorize it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) All that to say, and no, I won't go into it too, I won't go into it, but all that to say that I was excited by... Of Mice and Men and Monsters, because Of Mice and Men is one of the first classic literature stories that I actually, and I know it's the stereotypical one that everybody always goes to, but I had to read it in school, and it was the first one I actually realized, dude, I actually like this stuff. It's not just boring crap. And after that, revelation for the rest of my high school and career, unless it was written in some English that wasn't enjoyed every book they made us read. But I got to say, I was looking to see some love for George and Lenny in the plot in the story arcs that y'all have played so far but despite the podcast name I'm not seeing I
3: know
4: it's such a bait and switch right it's such a bait and switch I think it's not yet in public domain I don't think it's yet there
1: Oh, okay. Um, Fair enough.
4: I think we're still in the 1920s for public domain, question mark?
0: 1924.
4: Uh, Every day on Public Domain Day, which is like January, I like look it up. Like I remember Great Gatsby came out and I was like, I'm on (laughs) it. Yeah. When I am able to access it with my little pause, I will be doing an homage to that because yes, I enjoy teaching it. And I think it's a great story too of a lot of... Just, like, some central conflicts to mankind of, like, just the need and of compassion and community, which so many tabletop role-playing games center around. I know ours certainly does, of just, like, this need for community and this need to show compassion. And I love stories that really push that theme forward.
1: And I was really interested to see how you were going to work that into 5e how you're going to frame a 5 v. the 5e system into that time period and how it works so i'll be looking forward to that when it comes out so all that to say and finally get to my real question which is of the story arcs that you have done all 12 of them there's some hefty titles in here too these aren't small things you've got moby dick the count of monte cristo you know them better than i do but of the 12 that you've done so far
4: hope is that i do (laughs)
1: And and the stories that you've brought to life in their settings, which one was your favorite? And why or how did it translate best into a role-playing setting with your characters and players? I'm
4: going to cheat. There's a two-way tie. There's a two-way tie. Uh, We're familiar with this tactic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to pick amongst your favorite children. Uh, We totally understand. (laughs)
4: <laughs> my first favorite was Moby Dick because I didn't do like a special genre for that or anything I kept it pretty straight on with the story itself but what was fun is I had to learn ship mechanics for the first time you figure out okay what are the encounter like I've, I had never done that with the encounters and how to fight a demon whale and what does that look like and even having them explore a ship so it was fun to design the peckwad and to figure out okay like how am I gonna how am I gonna convince my audience that in this world that we have this guy who is just obsessed with this whale. Why? And so just, oh, he's a warlock. Huh. It's not his choice. Huh. It's a demon whale that his family is linked to and chained to. So he he wants to undo this curse and wants to finally end this whale. It was fun coming up with ways to use the Pequod I'm um, in battle and it was it was really fun just seeing the characters interact with the ship from that standpoint cuz I consider myself still like a pretty much a baby DM like more on the newer budding side of that and so I, it was <laughs> just hey not only are you creating this but you've you're learning a new mechanic in, in in this world so that was my favorite especially on just felt good after that I was like wow you learned something as a new as a DM and you did a story out of it yeah, story wise, my favorite that we've done so far is Oliver Twist, which we did as a, oh, that's a so good. We genre bended that and made it more of a noir, um, and we did a heist. So it was a it was fun to to plan that. And but why I absolutely loved it is because it was a character arc. So I have three players, and when we were coming into this, I had asked each of the players, "Hey, what is a work of?" classic literature that you want your character tied to. And Kimmy, who plays Penny, in case there's anyone on here who hasn't listened yet, I don't want to Give away too much because there is a special thing about her character that is revealed in this arc. But she's a rogue who her background is basically and she's a street rat. She was raised on the streets. So we renamed it. It's not London. Um, Old Smoke, <laughs> which is a nickname for London. And so she she was raised there by Fagin. And so she was one of the kids. And she has a chance then in coming back here against her will to face some of her demons from her past, to especially to face Fagin. And so that was wow. really fun to, to delve into the psychological aspects of that with the characters and then the amazing chances for role play between the three of them. That was just so much fun. And there were a few times where I got to just kick back as a DM and let them go, let them <laughs> loose. And it yeah. was, yeah, it was enjoyable
0: oh my I goodness
1: that sounds so good
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> love, love that uh, those two know,
1: answers all of our listeners out there if those two answers weren't enough to convince you you need to listen to this podcast i don't know what join will join us join us yeah,
4: join mm. us.
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's I
0: am so in love with the story of Oliver Twist that I know Josh and I almost a year and a half ago or so, we had actually, the three of us had done an episode where we built some characters and I built an Alan character who was basically had come up through the gangs. He started as an urchin and now he's in charge. And our idea was to use him as the central antagonist and then have other gangs doing kind of their thing so players could decide whether they're for him, against him, or any of those things. And in my head, the whole time is... I would love to play in that game because I would be playing an Oliver Twist type of character. I'm here, but I don't really want to be here, but I'm really good at it. And this is the only place where I'm shown family and all of those things that come up in it and just yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fabulous.
2: Agreed. So good. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be, uh, be checking out all, the Oliver Twist episodes. Those Please sound fantastic. Please do
4: it. And, so, and you'll yeah. get to hear me do a horrible Cockney accent. And X, I made the, the horrible decision of, hey, this NPC, every time she says the letter S, it's a TH, not thinking that they were going to spend as much time with her as they mm. did. So yep. I'm just, I had yeah. to say potion shop so many times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. wonderful. Yeah, ah, brilliant. All right, gentlemen. I think we are on to round two.
1: Let's so see. it would seem.
2: So
0: Once would seem. more into the let's breach, seem. dear
2: friends. Once more
0: into the breach. Sixteen for me. Seventeen.
1: Five. All right, let's oh. backwards. I was a six last <laughs> time.
0: Kate, I. I one of the things that I've gotten, because I dove so deeply into the book report episodes, in addition to your actual play episodes, every so often, I assume it's post the arc, then you do right. the book report. Where
4: we finish a story's arc, that's when we'll do the book report episode.
0: Yeah, excellent. So... With those episodes, I have just really, especially the book report on Macbeth, it like really brought up all the Shakespeare in me and at some point I believe the question was asked like what were some of the, there's a lot there's a good discussion about some of the other Shakespeare's. I know you were asked like what were some of your favorites and you had mentioned Midsummer Night's Dream and a few others and I was personally offended that my absolute favorite Shakespeare was not mentioned in that grouping, which is Henry the I absolutely love that. That is like my Number one Shakespeare, close second would be Julius Caesar. Those were like, I'm big on Shakespeare's histories. That's my particular bent. I guess my question is have. As you're going through the arcs, and there's a ton of works that are in public domain that you can bar that you can lean on, borrow from, and go into. Have is there any author that you are considering coming back to, and if so, who are they? Which particular works are you most likely to consider, and finally, why is that not going to be Henry V? If in fact
4: (laughs) Shakespeare is one that I am interested in coming back to, it. His works are so well-known and the, it, he's quite prolific in it. And I am holding to, it was William Shakespeare who wrote his stuff. I am holding to that. Yeah. Not like some nebulous team of people that he like ripped off from. Of
0: people, yeah, yeah. It was not literature by committee. It was not.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. Anybody yeah. who's tried to write by committee? Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> Three of us.
4: <laughs> yeah. So imagine what you guys were doing right now, trying to put that into verse Good yeah. lord. It's one of you would be in charge of the verse then. Like one of you yeah. would be the verse guy. Yeah. So I ooh, I would absolutely love to to try one of the ones that's in a different genre than we already have. So I wouldn't want to do one of the tragedies since that's covered. So yeah. in comedy I would love to do a Midsummer Night's Dream. You've got the Fay wild <laughs> and yep. it really fits into that and I think it, it, really it would be a seamless transition. No, For a history Okay, where do you put Richard the Third? I it's a hybrid to me.
0: Yeah, I think so. And actually, I think Henry V can be a hybrid because there's some really comical moments in Henry V. Like, really, it really straddles the line between his histories and his comedies. And many of the interpretations of it really go that way. I don't know. I for for Richard the Third, I think I would lean towards history. I think it would lean towards history just because of it, it, its place in history. Yeah, and it's, a dude, of, it's,
4: it's a dude who existed, it, but you got to write it's it in a such a way that, that pleases yeah. the current family in power.
0: And so I think I would have to lean that way with it. But, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a great answer for that. I think I might have to reread that and then come back to you with that answer because I, I it's been a while since I've read that one. And okay. like Your homework, prob- Leonica.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go read. <laughs> read I didn't know there was homework. I'm out. <laughs> oh, yeah.
4: Yeah. There's- one of the seizures I don't really like to give homework, so I believe it should be majority in the classroom. Is um, it
0: homework if it was already somewhat on the list? Like I was going to read Shakespeare at some point. I tend there to read you at go. least one yeah. or two a year anyway. Is it homework if I'm rereading that one and it's just because that's the topic du jour? Probably not.
4: <laughs> so I would say that's where I would go also because I it's more of a selfish thing. I would love to play that antagonist. It would be so fun to to try that of just that, that level of malevolence and planning, but also talking to the audience. I would try that. Like I would try having an antagonist that, has these asides <laughs> to yeah. the audience. And even though my players would hear it, I would definitely say your characters don't, but you guys can enjoy this unless they rolled a really good perception or something. But, yeah. and I also think it would be fun to do some political intrigue within that. So it would be, yeah, yeah it would be on one hand, a Midsummer Night's Dream going into the Wilds, or a little bit of political intrigue and super antagonist with Richard III.
2: Yeah. So
4: I, yeah, I'd want to come back to Shakespeare.
2: If, if Othello wasn't such a bummer, playing Iago would be so much—if you want, like, intrigue and yes. goodness. My personal favorite history was Anthony and Cleopatra. That's just me. So you come back to that, that's, that's fine, too. A Classic love story. And sorry, million thoughts coming up here for a second here. The other thing, when I was listening to the Macbeth episode, you guys were commenting about how, like, all of uh, all of his comedies end in weddings and all of his tragedies end in—right? In, and hearing you talk about Midsummer Night's Dream, doesn't Midsummer Night Dream technically not end in a wedding? The wedding is earlier— Midsummer's Dream doesn't end with a wedding,
4: right? No, it end it ends with a fay telling you exactly. Okay, it, goes it the same way it
2: began. Go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> technicality, I mean, you're asking if anybody in the audience could name it. name. A, you, a, a literary rules lawyer. That's, under, what I That's yeah. under that guy's
0: Henry V would fall under the comedy because that ends with the wedding as well. And I think a lot of the scenes with the queen, actually princess who becomes the queen in the end, were very comical. And they were when she's talking about. Lahan, Lamar, and she's like trying to learn English and <laughs> yeah. French. That was probably the best French lesson I've ever had, was yeah. reading Henry the Yeah.
2: That does bring it to my question here. So I'm going to go ahead and dive in here. And hopefully that this is, uh, I don't know. What I want to know is, so as a teacher and a storyteller, I want to know experiences in the classroom that you've had that have made their way into your storytelling style or have made your way into the game, or even vice versa, things that have happened at the table that have made your way into uh, in, into the classroom or even in uh, other interactions with your colleagues. Because I've got to think that there is some common, you mentioned it earlier, that there's a lot of like shared brain space between teaching and running a game. I have got to think that there that there's some tendrils of connectivity between the, uh, the characters that you have on both sides of that divide.
4: Yeah, (laughs) the first thing that came to mind is I've started using dice in my classroom. Oh, Um, excellent! How sometimes for classes we'll be finishing a finishing a work, and I don't I'm not a big fan of multiple choice tests. I instead like to do essay lower stakes essays, just like getting it out and having lots of chances to draft and compose in class. So, just hey, writing doesn't have to be stressful. Let's just even if I'm testing you or assessing you, it still can be something that's enjoyable. But what we like to do is work on, okay, I have these five, five to six topics to write about, or even full-on prompts. Let's, you guys get to vote on, on, on one that you want to cut out. And uh, I'm going to roll the dice to see the other one that we're going to cut out as well. So we're going to leave this a little bit to chance. So it's fun to do stuff like that, where I happen to have this D20, guys, because I use it in, outside of the classroom. And now we're going to just have a little bit of, of chance here as well. Let's see. I think also just how I approach studying characters has been greatly influenced by how I've started to build characters for tabletop role playing, understanding the mechanics behind it of, oh, yeah, there are these different areas where you can have strengths and weaknesses, how a person can be largely composed of who you are with your physical capabilities, your mental faculties, your decision making, how you use your heart, how you interact with other people. And so it's been fun to, to use that same language, that same vernacular that you would find at the table and then now I'm using it in the classroom and I'm not straight up saying, all right, what do you think, what do you think Holden Caulfield's wisdom is, you guys? It's, I'm not saying <laughs> that, but more of a, hey, like, how can we look at a character and uh, from different facets and see like how we have a balance in us and how maybe you're really strong in one area, but you feel weak in another and why would that and like these the even the premise of like ideals and bonds and flaws have to especially as a dungeon master build characters much more often and even though they're not as in depth as say the player characters that i'll do in other games like my newest build a goblin bard named martin short like i'm not i'm not gonna go as in depth into that but it's fun to then okay like i've got a whip up lady Macbeth for you guys i've got to whip up um oh gosh, name any character I've got to whip up Fagin for you. I've got to whip up Robinson Crusoe. And so I, I want to have them fleshed out so that I can easily then just know how they would interact with different characters and how they would even do in battle. How would they try to get out of situations or jump in? So it's fun even in that course where my skills in analyzing pre-made characters in a novel are really helpful in the as well as when I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons or any other tabletop role-playing game, really, and I'm creating my own character and understanding, hey, these are important flaws. This can affect the theme or the outcome or even the pivotal point and the climax of a story because of how I've built this character.
2: Such a great answer. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, cause I love stories about the shared brain space that can exist, and how you use use the discipline from one to go ahead and influence another, and stuff like that. So that's that's so cool to go ahead and hear. But first of all, just even how it's like coming through is like very like literal way. Hey, we're gonna be we're gonna be making decisions about our education. Let's leave it up to chance. Let's have some fun with it, kind of thing. But then, but then also just knowing taking those common skills and applying them in that way. It's just really neat. So.
1: It is very cool, and I can totally see how. The two worlds would collide like that and yeah. mesh in your brain and that's
2: Hey there travelers. We're gonna be participating in a TTRPG takeover on the Good Pods app, and we could use your help. On March 28th and 29th, we want to flood the app with listens of indie TTRPG podcasts. You can help us out by signing up on Good Pods, following and listening to us there, and leaving that sweet five-star with a nice comment or question so that we can interact. Then, on the 28th and 29th, listen to some of the podcasts in the featured section of the app to discover new shows. You'll find plenty of friends of the show, plus tons of podcasts you've never heard before. That's on Good Pods. Download it today for your Android or Apple device. Totally sorry that I stinked your question, Glenn. Well, that's okay, because
1: <laughs> my favorite part of your answer, Kate, is that you went in a different direction. So while Josh's question touched on my question, your answer only skirted it, so I get to ask it anyway. Hey, <laughs> so excellent. I thought he had snaked me, but mine's a little bit more specific in terms of how the two collides. So my question is, if you find yourself teaching a book that you've already done a story arc to cover to your students, do you reference your podcast in your lessons? <laughs> And vice versa? Or would the care, and do the, and how do the students respond if you do? I'm so guilty. If if any of your students are listening, if they haven't thought of this yet, would you provide extra credit to a student who listens to the entire story arc and brought (laughs) plot points from it into the class discussions?
4: I am not above that. I am not above that, Glenn. Okay. I, one of the, one of the levels I teach this year are freshmen. And so the very first longer work we read together was the novella of mice and men. And so I'm like, Hey guys, you want to hear something cool? I have a podcast that's named of mice and men and monsters. And let me tell you about it. I have set it as a challenge. I do every grading period. I put them into teams of three to four and I have just random fun things they can do every week to earn like house points or whatever. They can participate in things on campus. They can try things like outside. Like this week, I I have like little talismans that I've hidden around campus and given them these like stupid little riddles because the dungeon master and me and the first team to find (laughs) it, like they bring it back to me and they get points. So the premise is the team with the most points at the end of the grading period, they can choose anything in the grade book and they can get it excused. But what I have said, hey, leave us a uh, leave us a rating and a comment or listen and tell me like this one plot point so i have done that so yes i want to be a about- safe space
2: gate let it up
1: it's okay <laughs> <You> fishing got- <laughs> for audience members
4: hey we- you- us us indie podcasters we gotta do what you gotta do
1: find them where you can get them <laughs> yeah I, yeah so- I, I, I love it you.
0: i had a teacher who when we were doing julius caesar he was actually a history teacher it was my history teacher who swayed me away from history to become an English major, but he did it by teaching Julius Caesar when we were doing early history. Oh, because his way of teaching that particular part of history was to basically have us read aloud in class, Julius Caesar, except his favorite part was the soothsayer. So when we got to that part, he turned around, pulled this blanket cloak thing over his head (laughs) <laughs> and literally leapt in one jump from the floor to the top of his desk, held his hands of nobody <laughs> can see this but you, but he's held his hands like this and said, See them! beware the <laughs> hides of March. And I was like, sold.
1: <laughs> that, but, is was
0: so cool. that is was so done. cool. That is so cool. Mr. Browning, if you ever hear my podcast, know that you totally. Held me captivated for that entire class from that moment on. Like, you rock, yeah, Mr. Browning. <laughs> yeah, he was a great teacher, and you know that Julius Caesar yeah. was my favorite for a while until I really got read a good uh, Underbridge version of Henry V. That was Julius Caesar yeah. was my number one for a long time yeah. because of those. And
2: that's the thing. Not to be too much of a tangent here, but I think that's something that like because I, I also have an experience from when I was a sophomore in high school taking sophomore. English, which was basically an entire year of poetry, and having surfer Tim Whiting reciting The Cremation of Sam McGee at the front of the class, like, all of a sudden, it's like, yep, poetry, I'm in. I'm good. That's all that I needed. And so it's, yeah, it's like those formative experiences that kind of, did they set us on this path of storytelling, like, by seeing Absolutely. other good storytellers, that kind of thing, yeah. Absolutely. So, oh, totally. No question
1: in my mind. Oh, I think that all three of us were already... Four, it seems, Kate. We're already set to be storytellers. They just simply helped us find ourselves along the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. They
4: watered the field. The seeds were there. They watered it and yeah. helped it sprout. Yeah. I'm also guilty of, and totally shameless in this, but I have because we do a lot of reading aloud in my class, and we try to do it as if it is a script. So anytime it says in there like he said, she said, or anything like that, we just cut that out and say, like, no, it's a line. Just keep going. Say it how it describes. Um, but I will always do it along with them and I will always ham it up more so that just they get a little looser, but I will test out some character voices with them. So I will reference, hey guys, I'm thinking of doing this for, oh my gosh, what is his name? I'm doing it now for the time machine, but Morlock, Mr. Morlock. Yeah, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and I was trying to, I'm trying to make him like a carpet bagger, like, so he has a voice kind of like malicious. And so I'm doing, I'm doing Grapes of Wrath with them, like some of the, and so I'm like, hey guys, really? I'm thinking of this. D- tell me, does this sound like an oily salesman to you? And so just reading that voice and then getting feedback from them and just being Amazing. silly. Oh,
2: that's so good.
1: That's I, so I good. I test my wife, my voices out on my wife and son, and sometimes yeah. I think they wish I had more uh, guinea pigs than just them. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> the, the, yeah
2: I'm I am no good at voices. I have two or three voices that I go to for various characters, and that's all that I've got. And one but of them good, is good
1: at them. I just yeah. try.
2: Like one of them is Terry Gilliam playing a woman in any in any Monty Python movie ever. Like I've got that voice, like down pat. And so out. many NPCs yeah. have had that. Hello, beautiful face over here. Like that's that's <laughs> like just like you you think you've got a bad Cockney? Like mine's a million times worse. On that note, <laughs> I think <laughs> went deep into that rabbit hole. I think we're ready for round three. That's a nineteen for me. Dice are hot. Whoa!
1: I'm on a seven. I'm back to a six.
4: <laughs> Glenn right. still has to hold oh, his position yeah.
1: though. He's yeah. like, no, that's, Nobody
4: that's, that's, will yeah. beat me in this way.
2: He's <laughs> <laughs> been third place all night.
1: Hey, I wanna... They can't stab me in the back if I don't let them get behind me.
2: <laughs> exactly. There <right>. you
4: go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and,
2: and plus, let's be honest asking the last question of round three is really the fortuitous place to be. Like, no one's going to remember question number seven, but everyone's going to remember question number nine. So that's, you know, So that's well, unless lot. you got all a right. crap question. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. I'm sweating uh, over here. I'm sweating. Kate, what I wanted to get into was, so you've obviously done story arcs on a bunch of very specific stories. And I've got to think that there is some sort of overlying style that you as a storyteller have taken from your vast reading and everything like that. So the question that I basically want to ask is, if somebody out there is listening and somehow is not yet convinced to go ahead and check out Of Mice and Men and Monsters, if they were fans of a particular series of books or a particular author and that kind of the influence of that series that they could see the fingerprints of that series in your general storytelling or in your general approach to the to, to crafting story and stuff like that, what would that series be? Like, what's one thing that you think really influenced your style?
4: It's a hybrid. So once more, you are asking me, what's one thing? And I'm like, here's two. It's yeah. just so give me that two. You know, I'll fine. keep going. That's- it is. I am greatly influenced by, and I mentioned it earlier, but the Chronicles of Narnia. So just mm-hmm. having loved that very young, but also just that the whimsy of it and getting into the world and having these small moments with like just these random NPCs that yeah. might not like the Beaver family in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like they have some awesome lines that are given to them, but then we never really see them again. Like we, eh, like we, yeah. they don't play like a huge role in anything else, but they're memorable. And so that's one thing is that I want to have some memorable NPCs and that's still a skill I'm trying to work on. But having cozy, small moments of like intimacy. And that's important for me to give my characters in that while I'm like surrounding them with descriptions of the setting and giving them just minutia of the detail around them so that's one thing and then i married that with edgar Allan poe that mm. that man has imprinted on me in so many ways so even though i'm i specialized in medieval and renaissance studies as an undergrad i have grown in 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 the past years to just fall in love with gothic literature and i yeah it's just the twist the the I guess you could say, yeah, just the twist of the antagonist and the turn of the yeah. screw of the yeah. the psychological renderings behind who might be going mad with emotion and having that drive them to the depths of despair or the agonies of angst or even just the madness of jealousy. And so I like to, especially for my antagonist, have those aspects to them that is just slightly unhinged, but you still want to follow down the path and see where it leads for them. Yeah, some cozy, some grotesque. Put it together. You got my
0: show.
1: (laughs) Uh, Frankenstein's monster, so to speak.
0: Yes, yes. I love that answer because, especially with a couple of the works you've selected already between Moby Dick's and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Obsession being one of the penultimate themes of both of those works actually right. the ultimate theme of *Moby dicks and clearly a core part of the essence of victor's character arc in mary shelley's frankenstein
2: and metamorphosis also it's they're just starting
0: yeah. with gregor Samsa yeah, yeah. and all that so uh, uh, obsession is something that i use a lot in villains my homebrew campaign uh the The primary big bad that they're dealing with is politics and alliances, very Game of Thrones style thing with kingdoms doing all their things. But the main evil person that's stirring the pot and creating all this angst, his is an obsession, and they are trying to unearth what that obsession is because they've failed – 20 levels of trying to stop this person because they haven't figured out what his actual obsession guessed Mm -hmm. it what it was and they haven't got it yet so once they figure out what it actually is they'll actually be in a position to be able to act against it that's what i'm bringing to my table and i very much borrow from melville and mary shelley in the way i present that big bad and evil deity as a matter of fact the
4: gothics are so good at the obsession they're so yeah. good at painting characters that are just, yeah, just just they have the blinders on to even just the people they love and know just because of this object or this idea or even this personage that that they have put onto this pedestal and just will die in their thirst for it. And so it's yeah. fascinating to look at that. So yes, definitely Melville and Shelley are wonderful at writing that.
2: Thank you, Emmanuel Kant, and all of his study of the sublime. That, that's that's <laughs> yeah. right. So,
0: exactly you know. yeah.
2: staring at his spire. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And, yeah. What? Watching the French Revolution from the hilltop. It's like
0: that's... <laughs> I loved the Robinson Crusoe. It's been one of my favorites. And you talked about how the writers of the time and even Melville did it, where there was these elements of the books where they just went into excruciating detail on how to. Do a thing like fifty different knots. Oh, the Robinson Caruso With some of the larger, more complete editions I've read, there was a lot of detail into some of the specific things he did in his survival. Totally. Yeah, he has and, like
4: paragraphs and paragraphs on just how to set traps. And then okay. once you do, like how to skin it and how to set the fire and oops, it's raining, fire went out. Here's what you do when it rains. It's
0: <laughs> yeah. Along those lines, I was I wanted to as I was listening to him like, oh, I want to be in this conversation right now. But but knowing that I was going to be talking with you in about a day, I figured I would I would save it for here. I was going to suggest if you haven't read it yet or you haven't considered it for your show, I was going to suggest Jules Verne's The Mysterious Island. The complete unabridged version is, it's a thick book one, but Jules Verne does a similar thing, but even so much as he actually goes through and provides in the version I read, one of the versions I read, the mathematical formulas for looking at the stars and calculating your approximate longitude and latitude. So as you, he knew where he w- where they were, so he could tell what time of year it was based on the prevailing winds and went into all of that detail. Like A lot of what I know about weather and different things I learned initially from that book and then just expanded my knowledge because it gave me the right questions to ask. And some of my Boy Scout skills or whatever, I honestly think... There's three books that I would ever take if, with me if I had to be in a survival situation. One would be the Boy Scout. Two would be a field manual from the army. I forget the exact number. Mm-hmm. I have it on one of my shelves. And then the third one would be Jules Verne's The Mysterious Island. Everything from what type of clay, how to make clay, build bricks, and all that. And I have actually used elements of that in various games I've I've done I actually full on Ripped off the shoreline From that In a riffs game That I played with Glenn And his family Like all the description From that shoreline Was a direct ripoff Glenn I wrote none of it It was all Jules Verne And which is why I said it so seamlessly Because I've read that book So many times
4: <laughs> I'm <laughs> but, adding this To my list right now So but I'm like it,
0: yeah It's a phenomenal Perfect. book It also happens to be The sequel to Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Just a spoiler alert that For anybody who doesn't know It's actually Ooh, the okay. sequel To the book
4: That is one that we Because I do add Ask listeners, hey, reach out to us, email us or go on to socials. But just, yeah, if you have a suggestion and that is one work that the 20,000 Leagues, that work has been requested quite a few times.
0: It's a great book. I think Mysterious Island far and away blows it away, like far and away. All that. Cause that was less of a question, more of a talk, but. <laughs> <laughs> <much> a,
4: preambles.
0: <laughs> yes. I'm good for that. Like I have, I always answer questions in groups and I always ask questions with large preamble. I was wondering, um, Bringing things back to the game table in D5E and building the characters and allowing the players to play their characters and go through their various levels. As you're approaching this, when you were building your overall arc, which is very separate from the works you're doing, you have an arc that's separate from the works. Do you have certain works that you think will work better at certain levels than others? And can you kind of walk us through that process of what kinds of novels or what style of, of a classic fiction do you think works best at which character levels or which tiers?
4: Oh my gosh. I wish I could say that I plan out that. <laughs> I don't, I am, I'm still like times where I'm like, Ooh, I did not level that out you guys. So <laughs> I'm going to f- Flub my numbers. But I already know a couple of the works that are going to be the Falling Action and the the Climax and Falling Action. So I have mapped that out. And I would say those works are definitely on the <laughs> I don't, I don't want to give anything. They are definitely more gothic because you get great monsters from a lot of the gothic literature. You get great—I guess you get great fights out of it, but you also get great. As we were talking earlier, like you—you you get great psychology and cognitive processes behind the antagonist, and as they march closer and closer to unmasking who it could be and who is a mastermind, as they get close, they left off where like they didn't they have unfinished business with lady macbeth. That is something where that is left in the balance and so that that's unfinished and so that's going to have to be coming back because I definitely leveled her way above them because sometimes you need to make sure your characters come against the big bad a little early so that they can realize hey, we've got some leveling up to do. We've got some work to do or else we have no hope in heaven to beat this foe of ours. Have so I have to find stories that will fit well with Lady Macbeth. I need to find genres that will be good for not just monsters, but also for the darkness of the mind that can come with facing your own inner demons as well as like the antagonist that is slowly being built up. And and I like the idea of building up an antagonist off screen or off page, out of the off table. So like you're hearing hints of them more and you've seen them a little bit, But you want that anticipation to build until a climax. And so I I think that there are certain works that are planned that are definitely more in, they're more in line with Gothic literature and kind of also just in that Victorian era, just the mid to late 1800s, especially. Yeah. there's some great characters in those stories that are going to really fit this world well.
0: That's all I can tell you because I don't want any spoilies. I'm absolutely fine with that. <laughs> I, I am I am the person who doesn't like to know what he's getting for Christmas until I actually tear open the paper. Mm. So I'm not a person who likes spoilers. I even put up a Facebook channel so people who want to talk about spoilers of the shows can put it there and I can avoid it until I'm ready to go. There with you that. go. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> I love that answer. Another cheap Jules Verne plug because he was he is and remains my favorite classic author um I would definitely say Journey to the Center of the Earth has a ton Mm -hmm. of fun and adventure. It's obviously been done in movies and television shows a million times. La Brea is a current NBC that's basically fall in a hole, end up in another world that's probably in the center of the Earth. It might not actually be in the center of the Earth, but it's basically playing off of some of that theme or whatever. Oh, totally. Um, Yeah. So I love Jules Verne. I could go on ad nauseum (laughs) about, about him
1: and his work. Cool. And he will if we let him. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. I stopped myself that
1: time. When I said yes, it the first time, it was timed right at the end of what you were saying, but I was muted, so I had to unmute myself. And I <laughs> more timing.
0: You he had
4: to you pull that little cane out and go, just man. take him right off the screen.
2: <laughs> All right,
1: Mr. Myers. So Very again, so. your answer touched upon my question. But Look I'm gonna up. ask These it.
4: They're all anyway. interconnected, you guys. There's a lot
1: of synergy going on here. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I know you've said you don't want spoilies, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be that guy and I'm gonna directly ask you. So my question is what's next? What's your next project? I know you don't want to give away too much.
4: <laughs> like for for a mammoth for of mice and men and monsters, like in the uh-huh. in the current larger arc that we're in.
1: Correct. So what's next? What's coming that you can teaser a little
4: bit? I, we're going to ha- – yeah. So in in the – every time – so they have – they're currently in a space where they have to make it back to their home base, which is an island in a pocket dimension in the pocket of a powerful sorcerer. The So every time though, like just a stupid thing I started – and now, now I pigeonholed it. But every time they're back on the island, it needs to be like a story that involves some kind of island or other, and and or involves the name Robin. So we started out with Robin Hood, then we went to Robinson Crusoe, and so the next one is going to be the Swiss Family Robinson. I've limited you go with
1: the-, the island of Doctor Monroe. If you're, oh, you're going to stick with the islands.
4: that'd be a good one. That'd be a good mm-hmm. one. So. I think it's only we're getting to the point in the story where they keep going back to this safe hold. It can't be safe anymore. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to evict them somehow. So I know how I'm going to do it, but that's what I'm going to, to, to hint at is they have recently learned some very important information about the enemy's just spy network and what they know and how there are certain elements of their group's safety and location that have been compromised. And it's a ticking clock. And so they're racing that to get back and let Robin and Marion know what's going on so that they can start to plan contingency. But yeah, I'm gonna have to have a turning point. I'm gonna have to have things get hard for them, even though I've mm-hmm. I've really I really have been making things hard on them. It's I'm gonna have to plot wise really push it forward and have some moving scenes, as it were. So they're gonna have to be
1: on the not to quote not not classic literature to quote Firefly when your quarry le- goes to ground, leave no ground to run to.
4: There you go. That That's what I have planned. Yeah. So it, they'll see. But I, it, it's fun like seeing, OK, this story I know either because it's been requested many times or it's one that aligns with one of my characters, which is, we're in the time machine right now. So that's what I'm doing because it aligns with Bertram, whom my husband Adam plays. It's 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 fun to see. OK, I know my plot points. I know following the exposition rising action Climax, falling action, denouement, like all that. It's fun then to figure out like where on the plot diagram are these different stories going to take place? And then, okay, if this is going to be closer to the climax, then what is the genre needing to be? How can I up the ante for this story to make sure that we're hitting the story points and having the character moments or giving my giving my player characters like the chance to role play some memorable moments with each other and with NPCs? So, yeah, definitely have a document right now where it's just like, where on the plot diagram are are these stories going to go?
2: Look,
0: (laughs) speaking about The Time Machine, I just got to say, what a really cool way to incorporate that novel. It's another one that I'm very fond of. When we talk about classic authors, I am prone to say they're one of my favorites. And I will say that about nearly everyone you mentioned, because I... (laughs) just. (laughs) <laughs> Love them all. But that story in particular, which I first came into contact with through movies and then realized it was about a book and then went back and watched the book. So I originally watched um, the 70s movie with, with McDowell, where he played H.G. Wells going through the time machine and then Jack the Ripper was going through at the same time. And it was, it's a brilliant movie. And time and Time Again was the name of the film, which I highly recommend. That's a great film. And then, of course, the – the more the 90s time machine, and I can't remember the actor's name, but he was also an actor who played in The Count of Monte Cristo. He played one of the two main characters in that one as well. Guy Pierce is the name of the actor. Oh, yeah. Yes. So his version, which was very similar and very close to the Wells novel, it obviously had its differences, was also a great movie. So I love. The Time Machine, I love the multiple ways it can and has been used. It was used in the second series for A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the graphic novel, because H.G. Wells is one of those authors from that time period. So he was used there and was used to great effect. I just love the way Adam kind of, one, portrays Bertrand. It's brilliant. Anytime you're playing that type of character and just... The emotion he puts into the lack of emotion is amazing. It, <laughs> it, it is just one of the as a player who plays a Warforge in a different or game, that he's, he's hyperventilating
1: playing, even though he doesn't have to breathe, which doesn't yes. make any sense.
0: <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There are you so know, many times, just, wait, what are the mechanics of yourself? I, don't, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. I play a Warforge who's been touched by the face, so I'm now less Warforge and machine and more some kind of. I was always a sentient entity, but I'm a different kind of sentient entity now, and I'm very, my character's very unique, and I've seen that done. Glenn played stitches in one of our actual plays in a very particular way. And I love that character concept, and I love the way it played out specifically in the Time Machine arc that you're doing, the way it will jump from period to period as you kind of Went through the different things and then incorporating all those key elements from the story, the Morlocks and the Eloy and okay. Mrs. Eloy and all that. I just had to, I wanted to wax poetic because I love that so much, and I <laughs> wanted to just say again, thank you for bringing up those wonderful fond memories for me.
2: With that, we have reached our time for tonight, Kate. Uh, thank you so very much for joining us. Because like all great interviews, yeah. I have about twenty-five questions that have come up in the course of recording this that I wish that I had time to go ahead and ask, and I'll just have to, I'll just have to save them for later. But yeah,
4: it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. I could. I so I could just keep going too. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's been fun talking to you guys, especially since you know your shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's fun talking. We're, to we're guys. not
2: just pretty faces. Yeah, you know it's about <laughs> the right. <laughs> <laughs> we we talked right. a lot about getting our listeners to go ahead and check out your show. Where can they find of mice and men and monsters?
4: you can find of mice and men and monsters wherever you listen to podcasts. So yeah, you just type it in. It's there. You can also find us on our websites. Oh, ma'am, ma'am, because you know, of mice and men and monsters. So, oh, omamam.com so omamam.com you can just find it all there with more in-depth looks at the cast members so me and my three compadres as well as a little dive into each of the books and it's organized enough so that you can follow the larger plot line with ease and then jump in wherever you like so yeah you can find us there you can also awesome. find us on
2: socials we're
4: really social we technically have a tiktok but we don't really <laughs>
2: One of these days we'll we'll get to doing stuff. We also technically have a TikTok that we don't use. So yeah, Yeah. we understand.
4: It's there. But we we also have a a Twitter account. So at Show,
0: you can find us there.
4: We love to meet you. Come join us.
2: And
0: I picked up your show on GoodPod is where I was listening to it, which is a newer site that we've started. Started using of late.
2: Cool. Yeah. So thank you so very much for coming out here. So let's see what is on. So next week we wrap up international women's month with our interview with the lovely folks over at awfully queer heroes. They're going to be talking about the. Just simply insane pace that they are putting out content. They're putting right, right. out some. Kellen's Kel called old friend of the show, Scald, who uh, used to appear on all of our class warfare episodes, and, and Kel, who has I think been on the show already, probably two or three times. We're bringing them back to go ahead and and pick their brain more about how they just continue to go ahead and come up with content. And also, we'll be wrapping up our actual play of a divine calling here in the next couple of weeks, and then uh, looking forward to April when uh, this much heralded and much talked about Star Trek game that we were talking about our, our Patreon star Patreon starring. Star Trek game begins in earnest in April just a couple weeks here yeah that's all what's coming up on the show I'm Canada
1: super excited wait. to see how
2: that comes out. Yeah, very excited. Once again, Kate, thanks so much for popping on here. Really appreciate you taking some time to hang out with us tonight. My pleasure, you guys. Yeah, this My is pleasure. great. Yeah. And um, well, everybody else out there listening, go check out Of Mice and Men and Monsters. You yes. will not regret it. If you enjoyed no. this episode, you will. Yeah. Don't, just, just stop it now. <laughs> just, just Don't do even look at yeah. me
4: in the end. Just stop it hey, now. Wait, no, go no. And no, find no. Us.
2: Listen to the show for like two more minutes and then go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, thanks so much for listening, everybody. You have a good night. Have a great night, all. Later. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters.
0: Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends week.